like most of us these days, I spend my time isolated inside my own little bubble. As well-informed as I seem, there are some things of which even I am truly unaware. One of those things was the World Cup, that is, until I was walking around Epcot's World Showcase, when a cast member from some distant land was truly beside himself when he found out I knew nothing about this upcoming soccer exhibition. Which leads me to my next question. Why do we here stateside call it soccer when the rest of the world calls it football? When I turn to the internet for answers, what I found is there's articles about just this published every three years in June. So you're sure to find out the answer soon, and I promise you it will be lackluster at best. While I was doing the research, though, in looking into the evolution of games, what I found is that might truly tell us where we are as a people at this point in time. And that's why today I'd like to talk about tetrahedral dice, Hollywood squares, and gamesmanship as we take a shot on goal and start joshing around. A game is a structured form of play, usually undertaken for enjoyment. Games are distinct from work, which is usually carried out for remuneration. Remuneration is when something, typically money, is given in exchange for goods or services rendered, or as we were taught in school, money can be exchanged for goods and services. Now that's not always the case, as the distinction is not clear-cut. Many games are also considered to be work, such as professional players of spectator sports, while other games are considered art, such as jigsaw puzzles or games involving an artistic layout. Key components of games include goals, rules, challenge, and interaction. And while life itself isn't a game, those certainly sound like the key components to a successful life. Finding a definitive beginning to the age of games is tricky because, quite frankly, games are a universal part of the human experience. They're present in all cultures, and any archaeological site that had humans involved will have the presence of some sort of game. The Royal Game of Ur, Senate, and Mancala are some of the oldest known, and these are all variants of what's called a racing game. Simple racing games you might know, such as snakes and ladders, or as we call it, shoots and ladders, and complex variants of the game include Parcheesi, Sorry, and Trouble. Of course, the most notable feature of Trouble is the Popomatic Bubble. This is the die container that sits in the middle of the game. You might remember if you're of a certain age, it produces a popping sound when it's used, prevents the die from being lost, and also keeps any sneaky peats from cheating. Another fun fact about it, the die itself has Arabic numerals rather than the traditional circular pips. Pips are small but easily countable items. The term is used to describe the dots on dominoes and dice and the suits and value on playing cards. While playing cards originated in China in 1850, as did dominoes just a little later in 1232, dice themselves predate human history. Once again, Anywhere humans are found, you can find dice pips intact. And while people without electricity are never Gladys Knight, the oldest known dice were excavated as part of a backgammon-like game set at the Burnt City, an archaeological site in southeastern Iran, estimated to be from between 2800 to 2500 BC. The Egyptian game of Senate was thought to be played with dice, it's said that Senate, which is Egyptian for game of passing, was played well before 3000 BC and up to the second century AD. When it comes to how to play though, no one knows because the rules of Senate have simply been lost to time. There's other mentions of dice in history though. It's brought up in the Indian Rigveda, 
Dice is also on the early Buddhist games list, referring to games the Buddha will not play. And even the Bible drops a reference or two, like in Psalms 22, when the psalmist shouts out, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? He goes on to say, His enemies are dividing up his clothes and rolling dice for his garments. Don't fear, though. That story has a happy ending, as long as the descendants of Isaac and Jacob do what they were asked. Another one of the oldest games around is Backgammon. This is also a racing game that doubles as a board game using tetrahedral dice. Tetrahedral dice are the four-sided dice you're used to with the pips on them. In Backgammon, you're given another thing that looks like a die, but it's really what they call a doubling cube. If you're a seasoned backgammon player, you know that you're often permitted to beaver when offered the cube, doubling the value of the game again. Watch out, though, because your opponent could immediately raccoon your beaver. While they've truly stood the test of time, tetrahedral dice, really, seems a little pedestrian. I mean, if our ancestors could do it way back when, in this day and age, surely we can do better. Enter Dice Lab, a small company in Phoenix, Arizona, who created a special type of polyhedra. Now, that's Greek for many-sided. Remember, all dice are, but they created the D120. This is a special variety called the Disdiacus tricontrahedron. It features 120 scalene triangular faces and 62 vertices. That creates the largest number of symmetrical faces possible for an icosahedron and the biggest, most complex fair dice to be possible. To be considered fair, a dice must be equally likely to land on any of its sides when you roll it. And that brings us to gamesmanship, which isn't cheating, but everything else. More eloquently put, gamesmanship is the art of winning games by using various ploys and tactics to gain a psychological advantage. Frankly, it's the clever use of skills or tricks to succeed, whatever works, whatever it takes, and whatever you can get away with. Otherwise, that's just a A game that's tough to cheat at, and sometimes tough for anybody to win, is tic-tac-toe. Amazingly enough, variants of tic-tac-toe date back to 1300 BC. You can find it in Egypt, and then moving forward into the Roman Empire, where they played a game called Three Pebbles at a Time. There were other variants of the game, like Three Men's Morris, or as it's known in China, Six Man Chess, and also a variant played during Confucius' time known as Lok Sut Ki. The most famous variant on tic-tac-toe would have to be Hollywood Squares. This, of course, is a TV game show that premiered on NBC in 1966. It's had many variations over the years, so of course, when you were born certainly defines who you think the center square is, whether it's Paul Lind, Joan Rivers, Whoopi Goldberg, or what the hell are you talking about? For the most part, throughout history, games were meant to relax and keep us mentally fit. As for the ancient Olympic games, those were more a training for war to keep you skilled and therefore alive. As we evolved as a people, though, so too did our games, and that was never more true than in the Industrial Revolution. During the 1800s is when we saw many of our team sports be born, and that was because through efficiency, people were brought together and given free time. So we saw baseball in 1845, soccer in 1863, with football, hockey, volleyball, and basketball to follow in the second half of the 19th century. 
While idle time had so much to do with the creation of team sports, I like to believe that so too did the idea of rallying around a flag. And that's why the 19th century was also the same time the game Red Rover was created. Started in the United Kingdom before it spread to other territories, including Australia, Canada, and then the United States, this game Red Rover is played all over the world now with slight variations. In former Soviet Republic countries, they call the game Alibaba. In Hungary, it's called Give King Soldier. And in the Czech Republic, it's called King Sends Out His Army. So truly what we're teaching our kids is be ready to go to war, break some skulls, and get through that line no matter what occurs. Or as the Romanians would say, country, country, we want soldiers. The rise of team sports in the mid to late 1800s and the popularity of games can be seen in Google's Ingram Viewer, which measures word use in books over a period of time. And from 1800 until today, the usage of the word games stays steady until about 1850 when it begins to rise until peaking surprisingly in the 1930s. Because I guess if you have no job and nothing but time on your hands, it's easy to turn to the person next to you and ask, Shall we play a game? Now, after this, the use of the word games stopped and dropped a little bit until the mid-70s when it skyrocketed off again. And it seems we haven't stopped playing yet. With that, it's time to end the show. Sorry if you wanted more, but I promise it would just be parcheesy. Remember, the only time playing games doesn't have rules is in dating, though I'm sure just saying that I sound more square than Hollywood. But at least... I provide a challenging interaction. If looks up key were televised in 500 BC, you better believe Confucius would have the center square. As for that lackluster info I promised, well, it seems that soccer is just shortened slang of the word association. And with that, I'll see you the next time we insert another quarter and start joshing around.